You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. My special guest today is wonderful writer, wonderful author. It's Lee Robinson. And Lee's going to be talking to us about her latest book, Lawyer for the Cats. We're interested in hearing all about the latest book from Lee and also talk about uh, maybe some some of the uh, legal things going on and get an update on what's going on in the world from a a legal standpoint as far as our uh, furry friends are concerned. So it's going to be an interesting time today. Everybody hang tight. We'll come back right after these commercial breaks. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. It's hard to find time for your furry family member. That's where Camp Bow Wow comes in. All day play and overnight camp. Daycare and boarding for dogs. Everything is included. Large play areas for fun and exercise. Spacious cabins, comfy cots, even live camper cams to watch from a computer or smartphone. Camp Bow Wow offers the best care and is the place to go where a dog can be a dog. For locations and more information, visit CampBowWow.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Joining me now is author Lee Robinson talking about her latest book, Lawyer for the Cat. Lee, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, well, we're excited to have you back on, obviously, with the uh, the great success for Lawyer for the Dog and everything about the, the book, and we want to know about the cat side. I was I applaud you the last time we spoke and the fact that you have to have a cat book if you're going to have a dog book and vice versa. Otherwise, you're going to feel the wrath of whichever side of the fence people tend to lean on a little bit more than others. Well, that's surely the truth. A lot of my do- the readers of Lawyer for the Dog, the first book, were telling me, and especially my friends who have cats, you got to write a book about a cat. So here it is, Lawyer for the Cat. <laughs> and being in Texas Hill Country where you're at, I'm waiting for Lawyer for the Horse next. Well, we'll see about that. Who knows? We could have Lawyer for the Armadillo. Oh, that's right. Yeah, those Texas armadillos, you're absolutely right. They're huge and they're everywhere. They're, they're all of our Texas fans out there. It's uh, armadillos and cactus seem to rule the, rule the plains out there in the hill country. Well, out here, yeah, out here in the hill country where I live on a 100-acre ranch, we've got about every kind of critter you can imagine. We've got three different species of skunks out here. We got black squirrels and gray squirrels and red foxes and gray foxes and armadillos and mountain lions. I have not seen one, but I have heard one, and I I know he's been around, he or she. So it's wild and woolly out here. It's the wild and woolly Texas Hill Country, that's for sure. It's a beautiful out there. And I love the fact, I had to pick fun at you a little bit, Lee. In your bio, it says you live on a small ranch in Texas, and you just told me you lived on 100 acres. So we, we know 100 acres is modest when we come to Texas ranches, right? It absolutely is. We are surrounded by ranches that are thousands of acres and have been held by the same family for generations. So they think of our place as basically a little lot. 
<laughs> That's right. Yeah, and it's very unique. You know, it's uh, handed down through generations. It, there's very few places in the uh, in the United States nowadays, at least, uh, that uh, have that tradition. You know, where it's handed down from generation to generation. That's true, and it's it's really a wonderful thing. And um, you know, our neighbors are who've lived here. Families have lived here for so long, or have just grown up out here in the country. They love the country. They can't imagine living any place else. And they love their animals. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a great place. It's very pretty out there. So we've got a lot of uh, friends and relatives down that way and a lot of fans that listen to the show. So uh, big shout out to Texas there for that. Well, listen, Lee, tell us a little bit about the lawyer for the cat and tell us what Sally Boehner, the, uh, the lawyer and the heroine in the book, is up to in this one. Well, as those uh, of your listeners who are familiar with the first in the series, Lawyer for the Dog, uh, may remember Sally Baynard, who is the main character, is a lawyer in Charleston. She specializes in family law, in divorces and custody cases. But And she occasionally appears in front of, of a judge who is her ex-husband, who is still a little bit in love with her. And, and one day in, in the first book, he appoints her to represent a miniature schnauzer in a case, uh, in a divorce case in which two elderly people are fighting over custody of, of a dog. And she is surprised, a little bit miffed. She doesn't have a dog herself. She doesn't know much about dogs except the one she had when she was a child. But somehow she manages to do a very good job in that case. And I'm not going to give it away in case some of your listeners have not read Lawyer for the Dog. Um, you should read that first. Lawyer for the Cat is the second in the series, and Sally Baynard, unfortunately for her, or fortunately, did such a great job in in the first case, the first animal case, that another judge, this time a probate judge, appoints her as what's called a trust enforcer for a black cat named Beatrice. And Beatrice is the beneficiary of a trust what we call a pet trust. The woman who had owned her died and left Beatrice a plantation and several million dollars. And under the terms of the trust, the older woman, the, the deceased woman, Lila Mackey, has named three possible caretakers for the cat for a reason which will, will be known by the end of the book. She didn't choose one person. She listed three possible people to take care of this cat. And it is Sally Boehner, the lawyer's job, to interview all three of them and to find the best possible caregiver for the cat. And meanwhile, the old woman's son, Randall, is furious because he can't have the plantation until after the cat is dead. So it's a mystery. It's a story of Sally Boehner, the lawyer, um, coming to terms with the cat, becoming a friend and protector of the cat. As much as she did with her first animal client, the miniature Schnauzer Sherman. There you go. And of course, I'm a big fan of Sherman's, uh, having miniature Schnauzers of my own. So that, that, that is another reason I related to the book so well. 
And so with this, I won't get, have you give the end of the story by any means, but what unique challenges did she, uh, Sally Baynard, find in this particular situation outside of having a, a new love interest? Uh, it's a cat now, a million dollar left to the cat, and uh, obviously dealing with her ex, who's <laughs> the judge of the, uh, of the county or of the, uh, the city. <laughs> well, she is frustrated because as the story develops, she doesn't seem to find the ideal caregiver from among these three people that Lila Mackey, the old woman who's died, has named. And she has to go to New York to interview one of them who is the old woman's nephew. She interviews in Charleston where where this story takes place. She interviews uh, a librarian who's one of the other women one of the other potential caregivers, and then she also interviews the caretaker for the plantation, who's a young woman, and who is the woman she first interviews and kind of fixes on as the most likely, and I won't give the story away, but suffice it to say, she does get very frustrated because the case is not as easy as she had hoped it would be, and she has to take care of the cat until she can find the appropriate caregiver. And she does, you know, she's not accustomed to taking care of cats. She's got her, her elderly mother, who was a character in the first book, who has Alzheimer's, who lives with her, and that's a, obviously a stressor on her. She's got her law practice, her other cases that she's trying to keep up with. And, you know, it's, all, it's really almost more than she can cope with to have to deal with this cat and this cat case. Meanwhile, the the son, the older woman's um, son, is doing some fairly threatening things uh, to her, and she's got to worry about that as well. She's worried about, in fact, she's worried about her own safety. So other than that, not, not a whole lot going on in the book. <laughs> not a whole lot going on, right. That's right. The probate law is not her area. She doesn't know a thing about pet trusts, and so she's you know, a little frustrated by that as well, that she's got this legal document that she has to interpret and enforce, and she's on unfamiliar territory there. So it's a whole new twist. And obviously, you know, this is not her specialty, but it seems like she keeps falling into these. Is it uh, by coincidence, or is it a little bit of a jam back from her uh, ex having her take these type of cases? Well, her ex didn't appoint her to this one. It was the probate judge who operates in a different whole court system uh, or courthouse. But it was because she was appointed in the first case by her, the dog case, by her ex-husband, and because she did such a great job in that case, that word got around in the community, and there was, in fact, a newspaper article about her case, that she had done a great job representing the dog, and so the probate judge, of course, the minute he had this problem on his hands, and in fact, he was the one who was supposed to choose the caregiver for the caretaker for the cat. He, he decided, oh, Sally Boehner, this lawyer who represented the dog and did such a great job, will be the person I'm going to give this, this case to. And she objects, of course, and tries to get out of it, but she also is a little bit of a bleeding heart. And the judge, the probate judge, is able to put a pretty good guilt trip on her to convince her to continue. So a lot of twists and turns, a lot of exciting things going on. 
We definitely want to, we got to get everybody to get a copy of it so they can figure out who's going to be doing what and when they're going to be doing it and then what the outcome is going to be and what happens to the cat. It's exciting. Everybody take a look at the book, Lawyer for the Cat, and uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Uh, Lee, we'll come right back after this break because I want to talk to you a little bit about the uh, the legal aspects of things and pick your brain uh, from that side of the, uh, the fence as well. So everybody okay. hang tight. Good. Everybody hang tight. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. She was thrown out of a pickup truck. Somebody threw him out of a car and shattered his leg. They found her walking on the streets. Many have been abused, malnourished, eating garbage. Scabs, itching, licking, missing fur. There's this commercial on TV that the ASPCA does. They want you to send in $19 a month for a dog in the shelter. I think you should go and adopt a dog from the ASPCA and then get that dog on Dynavite. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. You don't need to spend thousands on vet bills. Their answer is nutrition. The omega-3 fatty acids. Flaxseed, zinc, alfalfa. The digestive enzymes that are cooked out of regular dog food. When you rescue a dog, you've got to feed them right for life. Every rescue deserves at least 90 days of Dynavite. 859-428-1000. 859-428-1000. Dynavite is nutrition. Dynavite for life. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. Learning to communicate with animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. And uh, continue our conversation with uh, author uh, Lee Robinson. And Lee, I know you spent a long time, 20 years, is uh, in Charleston as a lawyer, practicing attorney. So I wanted to pick your brain on, first of all, how has that helped you or or been more of a challenge when writing the books? That's the biggest thing because obviously you can pull from your experiences, but yet I'm assuming since we're talking about a it's a novel and we're talking about sort of a mystery, things behind that, there are some things that probably maybe got in the way of your logical mind based on history. Well, you know, it's um it's interesting. I was just I was just reading an interview by another author, a well known author, Elizabeth Strout, who wrote a book, um, a most recent book, My Name is Lucy Barton. She also wrote Olive Kittredge, which was an HBO series recently. But she went to law school and she said she was grateful that she turned out to be such a terrible lawyer and only <laughs> practiced for six months because she indicated she thinks she would probably never have become a writer. 
had she been a successful lawyer. <laughs> well, I don't know. I assume I was a successful lawyer. Yes. But I don't, and I think, and I often wonder what would my life have been like if I had not had not been at least a decent lawyer, if I, if I had failed at it and then gone back to writing, which I always wanted to do since high school. But I decided for practical reasons that I couldn't, um, I couldn't live off my writing. And in looking back on it, I probably couldn't have. But, but I think that in some ways, my law practice helped my writing because especially the kind of work I did, I started out as a legal aid lawyer and a public defender, and then I opened a private practice and, and did mostly family law, which, is, as I said, is custody cases and divorce cases. And you hear a lot of stories. And if you have any interest whatsoever in writing, it's not that you write those stories down as fiction, because, of course, you're not going to use actual cases in your novels or your short stories. But you do, it does get your imagination going. And, you know, I heard so many really almost unbelievable stories in my years as a lawyer, certainly very interesting stories, that I listened to the way people told their stories, the language they used. It helped me a lot with, with writing dialogue when I, when I started writing short stories and novels. And, of course, you know, there's a long, long line of lawyers who, who write fiction. I don't think it's any accident that, that a lot of them end up doing that because, they, because the law is really about stories. Mm-hmm. And if you're trying a case whether you're in front of a judge or a jury, and you can't make your case into a compelling story, you're going to lose it. You know, you've got to make it interesting. You've got to use the facts that, you, that you're given and convince either a judge or a jury that your story, your client's story, makes sense. And a good legal brief, in fact, does that. It tells a story and tries to be convincing. Now, you know, the, unfortunately, the language of law, the logical language of the law, is very different from, from fiction. You know, uh, it's dry, it's emotionless most of the time. And so you have to, you have to get away from that when you're, when you're writing fiction. You have to get inside people's heads and you have to let the emotion come to the page. Yeah, and I would imagine also, you know, a lot of folks, or at least I do sometimes, I, you know, it's very easy to think fiction writing doesn't have the amount of research, perhaps, that's done with nonfiction. But that's totally different, not the situation. There's a lot of research, I'm assuming, you had to do with your books, just like you did when you were uh, as a lawyer. Right, and in fact, with this one, since I did not know anything about pet trusts, I got the help of some friends who, who do that kind of work and read some cases and read the statutes, especially the one in South Carolina, and learned how these things operate. I did a lot of, I could probably write a pet trust now. (laughs) I was going to say, in your spare time, as a side business, you can do that. Yeah, right, right. (laughs) Well, do you keep up, in addition to your research, do you keep up on what's going on as far as pet trusts or pet law, some of the things we're seeing in the industry or in the world right now? Is there some things that you keep up with or uh, that you find intriguing? Well, I think, I mean, the whole field of, Animal rights and animal law is constantly evolving. And in general, I would say that it is evolving in the direction of 
animals being treated, if not like people, at least like creatures with emotions and feelings. Now, that is not true in, in every case, but it is becoming more and more the trend, and, I, and it's because of research. It's because of, of not lawyers, but, and certainly not because of fiction writers, but because of, you know, scientists who are doing experiments with animals that are leading us to believe that they have feelings and emotions that anybody who's, you know, who has a dog at home or a cat understands. I mean, we know, we know when we look in that dog's eyes that, and we're giving, you know, we're giving the dog a lecture um, about something she's done wrong, you know, and she, she hangs her head. We know, we know that dog <laughs> understands what we're talking about, That's right? right? That's right. right. Absolutely. They understand everything we're saying and they pick up on our feelings as well. Yeah. So, you know, I certainly am no expert on animal law or animal rights, but there are many collections, there are many books written about those subjects. In fact, the American Bar Association has a whole section on animal law, and most of the state bar associations have sections on animal law. In fact, in South Carolina, it's one of the most popular sections that the lawyers sign up for to belong to the Animal Law Committee. I think sometimes they'd rather deal with animals than people. <laughs> I think everyone on this network can probably <laughs> agree to something like that. No <laughs> offense, but uh, yeah, absolutely. All yeah. right. Well, Lee, where can people find out more about you and follow uh, everything you've got going on and pick up a copy of uh, Lawyer for the Cat? Well, I have a website, leemrobinson.com, where you can get all sorts of information about me. You know, you can find the book at your local bookstore or library or on Amazon. So I hope your listeners will check it out. Definitely so. You know, everybody pick up a copy of Lawyer for the Cat. And, and while you're there, pick up a copy of Lawyer for the Dog. you got to have a complete set there. But it's a great and read. May Find there be more. Yeah, that's right. I'm looking for Lawyer for the Horse, the Armadillo, and uh, everything else going on. I, that's We'll just keep it going. I think it definitely uh, there's enough stories out there to keep it interesting. And, uh, and, and Sally Boehner tends to keep everything a little bit intriguing herself. Right, and my email address is on my website, so tell your listeners out there, um, I'm interested in good stories about animals. If you have a good story, send it to me. There you go. Well, we'll get all that posted out there, and so everyone will have that. Meanwhile, everybody go to uh, your favorite uh, bookstore or online and pick up a copy of Lawyer for the Cat by Lee Robinson. Lee, thanks for coming on the show. Always appreciate it. love talking to you, and we'll look forward to speaking with you again somewhere down the road. Sure thing. Thanks so much. All right. My pleasure. Oh, my pleasure, too. All right. Well, we're coming to the end of the show today. I want to thank everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I want to thank our uh, sponsors and producers for making this show possible. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the show, you can email me. Email me at tim at petliferadio.com. It's tim at petliferadio.com, and I'll be glad to answer your questions, entertain your comments, and bring on the people you want to hear from most. So until next time... Write a great story about the animals in your life. A blog, an article, or in a book. And who knows, you may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.